Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. Today on the podcast, we have special guest Dre Baldwin, who shares his story about how he went from getting cut from his high school team three times to playing professionally overseas for nine years. It's an incredible story that's sure to inspire coaches and players alike, as Dre shares strategies for how we can embrace challenges and reach our potential. Before we start, a quick word from Manawatsa. Hi, Coach. If you're looking for a trusted resource for all your coaching needs, I want to invite you to visit pgccoaching.com and check out the world-class resource that we've created for coaches at every level of play. At one of our recent PGC coaching clinics, one coach called it like getting a master's degree in coaching. Another coach said his membership was his basketball Bible. If you're looking for a trusted resource, we've got everything you need to help you grow as a coach, build a championship program, enjoy the journey more, and have a lasting impact on your players. Once again, visit pgccoaching.com today to learn more and come join our PGC coaching community. Coaches, welcome back to the Hardwood Hustle. We got a really special guest for you today. His name is Dre Baldwin. And let me just tell you a little bit about Dre. And then, Dre, I'm going to open it up to you to kind of add on to that. But um, an impressive bio at a, at a young age here. So he, he's played nine years of professional basketball. That's after finding a way to walk on an NCAA Division three school. He's a full-time entrepreneur, authored 29 different books, performed four different TED Talks on discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. And you know, those are things that we'd love to talk about here to help coaches help their players become better at those things or for players listening to become better at those things because we want to educate, empower, and encourage. And when I had the opportunity, we watched a video of you. I thought, man, this guy educates, empowers, and encourages. He does all of these things and makes the game better because he does that. So uh, workonyourgame.com is his site right here. And Dre, we're really excited to have you today. I'm excited to be here, TJ and Sam. I appreciate you all for sharing your platform. Looking forward to this conversation. Can you start off by just giving us a little bit? So, I mean, really interesting story. So just kind of tell us your basketball journey. Sure. So uh, come from the city of Philadelphia, PA. was always into sports growing up, you know, coming in the city, you play every sport, a little kickball in the backyard, driveway, uh, touch football, eventually team sports. My first team sport that I tried was football, but I never actually played tackle football because my family couldn't afford all the equipment that comes with football. And then I played a little bit of baseball. It was okay at baseball, but my ceiling was probably to be like a mediocre player. So I eventually, after a few years, after realizing that I couldn't hit, throw, or catch, I should probably find a different sport. And I moved on to basketball. I was around age 14. So you start playing basketball at 14, you're way behind the curve, right? If you're trying to go somewhere to college, let alone pro. But that was the situation. And that was like the beginning of high school. So I tried out for my high school team every year. We didn't have where I come from in Philadelphia. There was no JV. There's no freshman team. There was one varsity team and they only had one coach, no assistance, nothing. So you make that team or you didn't play. And I didn't play for three years. I finally made it as a senior. That one year on the team, I averaged two points per game. Now, I know we have a basketball audience here. We know that's not a lot. Now, and I tell people all the time in you know, hockey or soccer, two points is a lot. But in basketball, you're not doing much. So uh, after high school, I knew I wanted to keep playing. I knew I was going to college, even with my academics, if not for sports. But I wanted to keep playing. So I ended up going to a school at Penn State Abington that at the time, you can only play two years of sports. 
It was a four-year school, but only two years of sports. But now it's a full D3. So I went there for my freshman year. Played okay. Didn't set the world on fire, but I averaged maybe nine points a game. I was a starter that year, my freshman year. So I was getting better, I guess. After my freshman year, I got recruited to go to Penn State Altoona, which at the time was already a full Division three school. Because uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, Penn State University has 23 different campuses. So Altoona was the second highest campus next to the D1 University at State College. So Altoona was a D3, went there, finished my career out there. And again, didn't set the road on fire. I did OK, but I had played in college basketball. So I had reached that goal. Finishing college, I wanted to play pro. Did not have any prospects to go there because uh, you two know, as well as many of the people listening, you're coming out of a D3. You don't have agents beating down your door. You don't have scouts coming to your games. I wanted to play pro, but didn't know how, when, where, anything. So my first year out of school, I worked a couple of jobs. I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. I worked at this gym called Bally Total Fitness, which is they're now out of business. I don't think it's because of me. I think I did pretty well for them. And then uh, after that year, I went to this event called an exposure camp. And ball players know what that is. A lot of well, people outside of basketball don't know what it is. But that's an event where you pay your own money for an opportunity to get seen, to get seen, heard and known. So I went there. This is 2005 to give everybody a time timeline here. And that was in Orlando, Florida. Me and a couple of my college teammates drove from Philly to Orlando in a rental car. And for those who don't know the geography, that's about a 19 hour drive. Uh, we hopped out of the car at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning and we walked in the gym and started playing. Now, at age 23, I could get away with that. Probably couldn't do it now, but I did it then. Uh, played pretty well at that exposure camp for that two days. It's only a two day event. Did pretty well there. I got a, a glowing scouting report. I got the footage from that event. And even when that was done, I did not get signed to a contract on the spot. Went back to Philadelphia, back to my job at Valley Total Fitness. And I started cold calling, literally cold calling every basketball agent that I could find on Google. And I would just tell them that here's who I am. Here's what I have, because I had some collateral at this point. Because the year before I had nothing to offer them. So now that I had the collateral, here's my scouting report, here's my footage. I reached out to about 60 agents, Sam and TJ. And of those 60, about 20 of them said, OK, let me see what you have. Send me your scouting report. Let me see your video. Now, I sent that out. Out of those 20, one agent ended up following up with me after seeing my stuff. And he's the agent that signed me and he helped me get signed. And that's how I got my career started overseas. And just to give you a parallel in that story, the footage from that exposure camp was on this device called a VHS tape. You two remember that? All right. So that, all right. So that VHS tape, I uh, got that transferred onto an audio a data CD, put it into my parents' desktop computer and uploaded that footage to this new website called YouTube. And again, this is 2005. This is when YouTube first came out. And I wasn't thinking anything of it. There's no money to be made on YouTube. Who cares? But after a little bit of time, I noticed there were comments on the video. People were asking me questions. Who taught you how to play, et cetera, et cetera. So I realized that this is an underserved audience on the Internet. People who just wanted to learn how to play, but they had nobody to teach them. They were basically me, but 10 years younger. So I, from time to time, sporadically would put videos up on YouTube. And this became a whole other thing years later, because this that actually is what made people start to know me was YouTube. And it's funny because you do all that work to become a pro athlete. But now everybody knows you from YouTube. You know, so more people know me from YouTube these days than anybody knows me from overseas. Because who has watched an overseas basketball game? Not many people, even basketball players. So that was how I had these two careers going at the same time. And fast forward in the story and we'll fill in the gaps, I'm sure here. Around 2010, found myself a free agent, didn't have a job playing overseas. I decided to put more time into this thing that I was doing online that we now call a personal brand or call being an influencer or a platform 
we weren't using those phrases in 2009, but I started putting more time into it, started creating my own products and programs. And I basically created another stream of revenue through the internet before it was a cool thing to do, at least mainstream wise. And it was around that same time as well that a lot of players, because they heard about my story, they heard about my background, they started asking like, man, how did you maintain the mentality to keep trying when things were not working for you? Why'd you decide to keep trying out when you're getting cut from the team? How'd you have a belief that you could play overseas coming from walking on in college? You barely played in high school. So they start asking about the mentality. And when I started talking about mindset, an audience of people who didn't even play ball started noticing my material on YouTube. And that's how I knew what I would do after basketball, because I knew that when that ball stops bouncing, athletes had to figure out what are they going to do next. So I already knew what my next step was. I was going to use the power of my my voice and my ideas outside of just the basketball stuff and talk mindset. And that's what I do these days. And I run this company called Work On Your Game Incorporated. And basically what we do here is take the mental tools to help you get to the top 1% in sports. And I teach professionals from all industries how to apply those tools at work and in everyday life. So that's uh, the last 20 years in a snapshot. Yeah. You know, and it's one of the things that intrigued me. And I want to talk about that for, for just a second is just the mindset. Like from an early age, you had a mindset, like you were going to find a way to make it. And you've continued to do that. You know, you talk, you humbly say, I, you know, started YouTube. You have over a hundred thousand followers on the YouTube people that follow you learning about mindset and making it. And but you've done that your entire life. So let's talk about that for a second. Like, uh, you know, and I have these kind of players, like I have players that come play for me in college. And I think, you know what, they, they've just got it. Like they're going to find a way to make it in life. Right. And that sounds like your story, Dre, like you're just going to find a way to make it. You don't know exactly how, but you're going to be dogged in your pursuit of finding a way to make it happen. So what is, take us inside. What, like, what does that mindset look like? And, and on top of that, I just want to add one thing that, you know, I was talking to my players yesterday about, you know, it's not hard to be special. You just got to do things different than everybody else. And one of the things that you sent a video talking about how you would add add value to the show. And I was blown away with two things, three things. One, your articulation was really good. Two, that we get, you know, 100 emails asking to be on the show. And it's, you know, hey, here's what I can do, whatever. You did a video and you went above and beyond. Like everything about the way you went about the process was special. And so, I mean, I, right off the bat, I knew I was like, this is just different. Like, there's something special about this guy. Take us inside the mindset of, of what special looks like. Man, that's a, a really good question. I appreciate the compliment there, uh, TJ, is that I've always tried to do things that don't scale. Because once I realized that most people don't do them, that's how I knew I could separate myself. So even from the little bit that I told you in that you know, three-minute background, when in high school, we could even start in high school, even before that, as a matter of fact, when I first started playing ball, I'm from Philadelphia. I didn't have access to a gym. My parents never hired a trainer for me. I never played a second of AAU basketball. None of that. When I wanted to get better at basketball, I looked around in my neighborhood. The only place I played was a neighborhood playground like everybody else. And none of the coaches were taking me under their wing. My parents are not athletes. None of that. All I could do was go to the local park and practice. And my question that I asked myself was that how can I catch up to these other players who are also my age, but they're better than me? How can I catch up to them if I'm playing the same amount as they are? So my my idea was that I'm going to go outside at like nine, ten o'clock in the morning. I'm going to stay at the park from 9 a.m. to maybe two in the afternoon when it's too hot, quote unquote, for everybody else. And I'll practice then because the park was empty at that time because it's too hot and it was hot. 
But I used that time to kind of catch up to the other players out there, even though I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. Didn't even know how to practice. I didn't know there were no drills. There's no YouTube. There's no Instagram. Nobody was telling me how to practice. But I figured if I did that, then maybe I could catch up to these other players. And then when everybody comes to the park at night and plays pickup, I'll play with them then, too. But that was my only idea. I had no other options. So that it started with that. Then when you go to high school, I mean, a lot of players, again, my same grade every year, you just saw fewer and fewer guys in my grade trying out for the basketball team because they had got cut the year before. And it's not because they didn't want to play basketball. This has always been my belief that the players who got cut in ninth grade, let's say maybe 80 guys tried out in ninth grade, 10th grade, maybe 60, 11th grade, maybe 25, and by 12th grade, maybe seven of us tried out who were seniors who had never been on the team. Now, why did fewer and fewer people try out is that they stopped liking basketball. I don't think so. Some of them maybe decided basketball wasn't for them, but I think the majority of them just didn't want to deal with the embarrassment of trying out four times and getting cut. I didn't have that problem. I said, I'm going to try out every time. And if I get cut, I get cut, but I'm going to keep trying. And had I got cut that senior year of high school, I still would have tried to play in college. I already knew that that's what I was going to do. And then going to college, whatever school I ended up going to, I was going to, my goal was to walk on and make the basketball team. However, it ended up turning out. I did not choose my college based on the basketball program because I didn't, I didn't have that luxury. I was whatever school I went to. I don't care if I ended up at Duke. I was going to try out for the basketball team. So wherever I was going, that's what I was going to do. Then you talk about when I got out of school, a lot of players I know my senior year when I graduated, a bunch of players graduated at that point. We all you know every college senior thinks they're going to play overseas. You ask them all, they all think I'm going to play overseas. I'm playing the NBA. Everybody. Now, that year removed from graduation to when I actually started playing, that year is kind of a, a slap in the face. The reality slapping a lot of us in the face. All right, how much do you really want to play pro basketball? And through that year, you know, I at first I was catching public transportation just to go to my job at Foot Locker. I didn't I couldn't even afford a membership to LA Fitness to keep working on my game. But I kept my mind on that goal throughout. So when I finally got my first couple of paychecks from Foot Locker, went and got my LA Fitness membership and started working on my game on my days off. And I just kept that idea in my mind. And when I saw that exposure camp, listen, that exposure camp that I went to to get on overseas cost two hundred fifty dollars. I did not have a credit card. I did not have a bank account. I called the event organizer and asked them, can I pay you in cash? Because I have no other way to pay you. And they said, yeah, you can pay us in cash. So I walked in, paid $250 in cash, and I had two days to save my basketball career. And that's something that just a lot of players just aren't willing to do. They just aren't willing to do that extra work. Then we take another step, go to YouTube. When I saw that those players were leaving comments on my videos and saying, hey, who taught you? How often do you practice? Can you make a video on shooting? Can you make one on dunking? Can you make one on playing defense? I just respond to every comment. Even to this very day, I still read every comment that I get on YouTube and reply to people's comments. I still respond to my emails, even from people who can't do anything for me, because I realize that these are things that most other people don't do. And and then I heard someone say that phrase, doing things that don't scale, because in business, everybody's trying to scale, right? How can I set something up to where I can set it and forget it and I don't have to do any more work and it just keeps growing on its own? But I asked myself, how can I do something that most of them won't do that I can kind of separate myself? Because I'm not going to beat the whole world on talent. I'm not going to beat the whole world on uh, intelligence. I'm not going to beat the whole world on you know, anything that everybody's trying to do. What can I beat people on that they're not even trying to do? So I've always been the type of person that is willing to do things that don't scale all the way down to us having this conversation right now. I know because, listen, I have a podcast, but my show is solo. I don't even have guests on my show. 
but I get those bulk emails all the time. So I know you two get a bunch of them. So I'm like, all right, how can I separate myself from all these people trying to get on podcasts or try to help somebody get on podcasts? All right, why not just make a video and talk directly to the person that I want to talk to? It won't take me long. I know I'm, I can speak. And one thing that I noticed about five years ago, uh, TJ and Sam was that I was, no, I was appearing on people's podcasts back then when I first stopped playing ball. And I noticed that hosts of shows started asking people, Hey, can you make a quick video of yourself talking? Because I guess what was happening is that you would bring in a guest and then realize that then you know how to speak once they got on camera. So I figured, okay, why don't I solve both problems at the same time? I'll let you know who I am. I'll ask to be on your show and show you that I can actually handle myself in front of a camera all in one shot. So I'll kill three birds with one stone. And that's why I started doing the, doing what I did with you all, just make a video and actually talk to you all at once. And I know that if you open the video, you might say yes. That was, that's my, that was my, my bet. For me, it's always been the answer to your question is doing things that most people just don't even think of doing or they don't want to do because it just takes a little bit too much effort. And, and Dre, the thing about it is you customize. It wasn't like you, we got some, you know, video that wasn't scripted to us. You said, Hey, TJ and Sam, we knew you took the extra time and it wasn't edited where you just edited out names. So I love a couple of things uh, I want to highlight. I love what you said about do things that don't scale. Like that needs to be tweeted and retweeted, do things that don't scale. And then I love stories like this. Cause I think, I think more young people need to hear that there's two themes I, I hear playing out in just these first 10 minutes of our conversation. One is adversity and the second is persistence. Like you hit adversity. And I think actually persistence has to show it and reveal itself in adversity. It's easy to be persistent when things are going well, but what happens when we hit the wall? You hit the wall freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, you, and then you didn't have wild success your senior year. So this persistence, is that something you feel like you've always had? Was it something your parents, you know, helped develop in you? You know, and then how, so how did you develop it? And then how would you teach it to young people? Great question. So I would definitely give credit to my parents for that. You know, I was, I guess we can say lucky enough. I had two parents at home and I saw them every day uh, wake up and go to work. And neither of my parents are athletes. Neither of them is even six feet tall. I'm six four. And they were not athletes. I have one sister. She's not an athlete. I didn't have any athletes in my family to teach me any of this stuff. But I saw them wake up every day and go to work. And as they say with parents is that your kids don't grow up to do what you say. They grow up to do what you do. Right. So I saw them doing that all the time. So when I got into sports and I was just trying to crack the code of how can I get better? I had young players around me say, Dre, you need to get better. I didn't know how. And again, this is the 1990s. So there's no Internet to go to to fall back on. I just followed what I had already seen set as an example was just get up and go do the work. You know, I had jobs even from the age of 15. I probably had 20 to 30 jobs, like jobs where you show up and clock in. I'm talking CVS, McDonald's, uh, Foot Locker, Pizza Hut, Friendly's. I did all those things from the time I was a teenager because my parents were like, you're going to work. My parents plan was not make a professional athlete. My parents' plan was, you're going to work. You're going to learn how to work, earn your own money. Anything other than food, clothing, shelter, you're going to earn on your own. And you're going to go to school. You're going to get your degree. And then what you do from there, you do. But that was the the discipline that I was brought up with. So I just took that and applied it to the sports world. But I by no means had anyone around me trying to groom me to become an athlete. That was a decision that I made on my own. And then I just applied the disciplines to go and do it. 
And to tell you another piece of that story, when I was a freshman, I was at Penn State Abington. Abington is right outside of Philadelphia. So it wasn't even I wasn't even on campus It's a commuter campus, meaning no dorms, no housing. So I lived at home my freshman year of college. Every day I would drive up to the campus and I would work on my game inside of the campus gym. And nobody ever came in there. So after my freshman basketball season ended, no player. I never saw another one of my teammates ever again. They never came to the gym, never came to work out, even though we all had access to the gym. You're a student. You can use the gym. The gym would be dead empty all summer. And I would go in there, work out every day. And one random day in the summer of 2001, I hadn't eaten breakfast that day. So I went up to the campus cafeteria. Penn State Abington's campus has four buildings. And one of them is the gym, one is the cafe, and then two buildings for classrooms. So I go to get something to eat. Random guy walks up to me and says, hey, man, what position do you play? And I'm looking at this guy crazy because it's the middle of the summer. I'm not even taking classes. So why is this guy approaching me? I know he doesn't know me. Now, it's a small campus. So I know everybody, especially the black people. This guy's black. I know I don't know this guy. And he's like, what position do you play? I'm like, how do you even know I play? And he's like, I'm just asking. So we start talking. Turns out he's a coach at Penn State Altoona. And this guy recruited me right there on the spot. And the thing is, he didn't even know who I was. He wasn't looking for me. He was doing something else. But he saw me and he said, you look like the kind of player that I needed. He told me this years later. And the thing is, I ended up accepting his recruitment, went to Penn State Altoona. And that's where I finished my college career. And it was there at Altoona that I met some guys who are still some of my best friends to this very day, male and female at Altoona. And the thing is, and I tell athletes this all the time. The way that that lucky break, that was a lucky break for me to end up at Penn State Altoona. Because mind you, at this time, you can only play two years of college at Abington. So after my sophomore year, I couldn't have played basketball anymore. The only reason I was able to play four years is because I went to Altoona. And that was because of a lucky break that I randomly ran into a random dude in the cafeteria in the summer after my freshman year. And I tell people the reason that luck happened is because I was showing up every single day to work on my game on my own volition. Nobody told me to do that. The coach didn't tell me to do it. Nobody asked me to come work out with them. I was by myself doing that. So anyway, to answer your question there, Sam, what would I tell another a young player who's coming up is it has to be in you. You have to have something in you. It's kind of like TJ said earlier that some players you just know, you can just see it that it's in them. It has to be in you in some way that you are determined to make it happen. Whatever that it is going to be for you, you have to decide that for yourself. And based on that it, that's what activates you to do the things. Now, I could have showed up to the gym every day that summer and nothing happened. I didn't meet anybody. I would have just kept working on my game. But I guarantee something would have happened between that year and the next year. Something would have occurred because I would not have let nothing occur. If you understand what I'm saying, that was a decision that I made that I was going to make it happen some way or another. So I would tell the players out there that you got to have something in you that is going to move you to go do it. Yes, you can get motivated and inspired and activated by the stories from me or Kobe Bryant or whatever you read or watch, but it has to be something in you because you're going to run into a wall. As you said, they're saying at some point you're going to run into a wall and things are not working and it's looking like it ain't going to happen. And if there's nothing in you to push you past that point, then that's going to be the end of your story. And that's the way that it is going to go. And most you know, motivators probably won't tell players that, but I tell players that, is that you have to have something in you that's going to take you past that point. Yeah, it, remind, it reminds me, Dre, I, I had a player that from about 10 years ago, I coached in college for almost 10 years and um, similar to you, he actually out of high school, didn't get recruited, went JUCO, then he went D3, then he came to us and 
know, he, he was, he had some talent, no doubt, but he wanted to play professional basketball and playing, playing overseas, playing the NBA is different. Like they come get you. Right. But when you go overseas, you have to be the pursuer. You have to go drop 250 cash at some random gym in Orlando. And you don't even know if this dude's legit because he might be taking your money and, and it's a scam. But you know, it's, it is a, a moment of persistence and you have to have that in you. And I think so any players listening, like that's what it takes. And so it, it it's there's a saying it takes what it takes. And you obviously have that. So snaps to you. We, we get some snaps uh, way of celebrating you. So, yeah, I, I think that's an amazing story. I know TJ's got a follow up. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep building on that persistence. I, we, explain to us the third day during the season, right? Like, so the third day, you you are have lived out persistence. And we as players and coaches, we hit walls all the time. It's a long season. You know, you're practicing back-to-back. You're going hard. Like, talk to me about the third day. Man, so – and this is especially big in, in any type of fitness and sport. And this is something I wish somebody had told me when I was playing. So the third day is – Let's just take a basketball player. First day of basketball practice. And, and this is around the time, well, by now seasons have started. But let's say when basketball practice first starts, first day of practice, first day of tryouts or whatever, everybody's all excited. Everyone's showing up. Everyone's so attentive to the coach and doing everything the coach says. Everyone's all activated, right? And because we all feel good. It's the first day. And you might you know, get your butt kicked that first day in practice because you might not be in the kind of shape the coach wants you to be in. But you drag yourself to the locker room, drag yourself home. You look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm, I'm playing. I'm going to do this. Second day, you got a little bit of fatigue on you from the first day because you weren't quite ready for what the coach asked of you. But it's still pretty new. It's kind of like that new car smell. The car still smells new the second time you drive it. Right. And you get your butt kicked a little bit more that second day. But you drag yourself home in the locker room, look in the mirror. You say to yourself just a little bit less enthusiasm. I'm doing this. By the third day, already by the third day, and you guys as coaches, you probably noticed, by the third day, you already start to see the bad habits. By the third day, you already start to see which players are, are going to maybe start quitting when the going gets a little bit too tough. By the third day, you already start to notice which players are going to try to get away with not going as hard as they need to. By the third day, you're already noticing who you're going to have to ride and stay on top of to get their best effort out of them and who you want. The third day is all about, and it's not necessarily about sports, but it can apply directly to sports, is any situation in your life when the newness has worn off, the novelty of the situation is completely gone, and now you realize that this thing that you signed up for is not all fun and games. It's not one big party. This is actually a job, and you're going to have to show up and really push yourself. It's going to require some grit, some determination, and a whole lot of mental toughness. So what the third day is about is not necessarily the situation, the occurrence, it's a decision. Are you going to show up and give your best effort every single moment when you're out there on that court playing, when you're in the classroom, when you're you know, working out on your own? And that's what the third day is about. And the third day is really what separates the best from the rest, because what makes someone the best, TJ and Sam, is not their potential. It is not what you do at your peak, because anybody can look good when their energy is activated and they feel like it. But it's what you do consistently. What makes a LeBron James consistent, what I tell players is that if I go to a basketball game and LeBron's playing, I know if he's playing, he's healthy. I'm going to, I can bet 25, seven and seven any night. It doesn't matter who he's playing, who else is on the team, where they're playing, what happened the night before, what's happening next night, 25, seven, seven every time. Michael Jordan, 30 points guaranteed. That's what makes someone great is the consistency that you know exactly what you're going to get from them every single time. And while I have never been a sports coach, 
I know from my experience as a player and how coaches will sometimes get frustrated with me. Cause like I said, I wish I knew about the third day when I was playing that coaches most value and y'all can check me on this. If I got it wrong, they most value the players who you know exactly what you're going to get. Not necessarily the most talented player, but the guy, you know, exactly what they're going to do every single day because you can depend on them and you can, you can plan around those people who are consistent. You can't plan around an inconsistent person, no matter how talented they are. So that's what the third day is about. Yeah, we say it all the time. Coaches play players they trust. And who do you trust? You trust consistent players, players that show up on a regular basis. And so I 100% align with that. And what a follow up to that is, you know, how do you take this off the court? So we talk a lot about being a transformational coach. At the end of the day, you know, our players are going to graduate. You talk about it where, where players, their career is going to end. But at it, some some point, it's, it's going to matter more than what was actually going on in the basketball court. But that's not the easiest thing to get people to understand. You know, like you're when I talked about, you know, that it factor and having it like you were you were going to be persistent and you were going to keep trying out no matter whether it went your way or didn't go your way. You were going to keep going. So that quality served you on the court, obviously, but it's all it's solving you. It's uh, helping you off the court as well. How do we get those to translate? How do we get these lessons to to mean more to players? That's a great question. So you're saying specifically outside of sports, like after sports? Yeah. I mean, even, you know, when you talk about for players, if you talk about, hey, this is going to matter when you're married, this is going to, they're, they're not hearing that, right? Like, how Mm -hmm. how do you get them to, to feel that and to know that, like, cause you talk about it, sometimes it's hindsight for you as a player, like realizing right. that is it just going back to building the habit, like just building a more consistent player, building a more persistent person. And that will carry on after, after basketball is over. Sometimes I think it's the players do a player has to decide to open their ears to hear it. I mean, there's only so much, I mean, both of you are coaches. So, you know, you can talk to your blue in the face. Some players are going to take it in and some players, they're going to have to learn it the hard way. Now, personally, for me, one of the actually one of the benefits of the challenging road that I faced was that when I graduated from college, there was no guarantee I would ever play one minute of professional sports. So I had to have it in my mind. Okay, who am I and what what do I bring to the table to the world if this basketball thing does not happen? I knew it was going to happen. But at the same time, I didn't know how long I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know how long that period when I was a free agent. How long will I be a free agent before that phone rings again? So I had already already had to think about what else do I bring to the table? I already had that implanted in me. And at the same time, I never had anybody around me saying, hey, you're just going to play ball and you don't have to do anything else. Nobody ever said that to me. So I never had that thought in my head. So for me, by the time I stopped playing basketball, I already had in my mind what else I was going to do because I was already doing it. I was putting videos on YouTube. I was blogging. I had already started writing books. I had already identified that people who didn't play sports could connect with my message, even though they didn't play basketball. So I already had these pieces in place kind of serendipitously, I guess you could say. And this is, again, the Internet just became the Internet in what, the last 10 years? Like all these platforms that we have didn't exist ten year, even 10 years ago. So all of this stuff kind of happened at the same time for me. And at the same time, I always had it in my mind, even if I make it and I do great, you know, By the time you're 40, you're done. Most athletes are done by 30. Many of them done by 25. So who are you and what else do you bring to the table besides your ability to run, throw, shoot a basketball, catch a football? What else do you bring to the table? Because you have to live the next 60 percent of your life. And what a lot of athletes don't realize while they're in the moment playing is that nobody gives a damn about a former athlete. You're not cool when you're a former athlete. You're cool when you're the player. 
when you're playing, but as soon as you don't play anymore, all right, you can't, you can't walk to the, the VIP line at the club anymore. All right. Your calls don't get answered the same way when you don't play anymore. So what else do you bring to the table? Are you somebody outside of your ability to shoot and dunk that basketball? That's something that I always had in my head since even before I'd even played pro. So that was the idea that I had in my mind. And as far as how this can translate outside of sports is just like we talked about. And you mentioned earlier, TJ, with some players that's having inside of them. I for a couple of years ago, I did some work for the NBA G League and they had me talking about these exact things. And well, I talked to them, they every team in the league. And we would talk about what are you going to do when you're done playing? And out of every team that we talked to, there, there were 10 players on each team. I say maybe two or three on each team really wanted to hear anything that we had to say, anything that I was talking about, maybe two or three guys on each team. And sometimes the one of those two or three guys would be an older guy, maybe somebody who was in their thirties and they already could see the end of the road. So they were near the end of their career anyway. So they already had this stuff in their mind. And then maybe one or two would be guys in their twenties who just recently graduated and they were just, they just had it in them. The rest of the players, they're like, all right, when is this over so I can go play ball? And this is just how it is. Like some players, when they're playing that professional sport, especially when you're trying to get that lottery ticket to get to the pros and get that money. They're not thinking about these other things. And some of them just kind of have, have to have life hit them. And this is just how it is. We can talk and we can do our part by putting the game out there and letting them know. But they have to decide to take it in. There's only so much. I mean, you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. That's just what it is. Dre, this may be a loaded question, but, you know, part of four, your four pillars, I want to pick two of them. Uh, confidence and mental toughness, part of your work on your game philosophy. And... Something stood out to me earlier that you said, which you talked about, you were going to try out regard if you didn't make it, you're going to continue on. So there, to me, you either had an absence of fear of failure or you had a lot of courage. You know, courage can't exist without fear. So what's the relationship? Again, loaded question. So take it wherever you want to take it. But like a lot of people, myself included, a lot of young people were afraid of failure and we might suffer from confidence. We suffer from doubt, self-doubt. So maybe just speak a little bit to the relationship between mental toughness, confidence, fear of failure. Uh, lastly, before you do, and the, this coaches often use a lot of coach speak. They say, hey, be tough. We got to be mentally tough, but they don't give players tools on how to be tough. So again, maybe just unpack some of your thoughts on confidence, mental toughness, and fear of failure. Sure. So going into that senior year, I knew that was my last chance. And I knew that if I tried out again and didn't make it, that I would probably get ridiculed. And even then I made the team and I sat the bench. So I still got ridiculed because I was sitting the bench averaging two points per game. But for me, it, I had a bigger picture in mind. I knew that when I got out of high school, I could go, I was going to go to college and I had an idea that at college, I would be able to use a facility. I could actually work on my game indoors all year round where I didn't have that luxury back you know, at home growing up and that I could develop. I could continue developing and getting better. I just started playing at age 14. So I knew that I was going to keep getting better. I could feel myself improving, even though I didn't have uh, any tangible results that said I was getting better. So I just had it inside of me. It was something that I could not have verbalized back then, but it was something that I felt inside of me. And I cared more about what I thought than what anybody else thought because they weren't going to be around. So for me, yeah, the fear of failure, it existed, but it didn't exist so much that it was going to stop me from trying. 
and it didn't exist so much that it was going to keep me from showing my game. And the mental toughness was just my willingness to keep the fact that I even showed up the tryouts. I don't think there was any other player, maybe one other guy, my whole four years of high school who tried out for the team all four years. I was the only one who tried out all four years and didn't make it until that last shot. There was other seniors who made it, but they hadn't tried out the other three years. So I was the only one who did it all four years. That's awesome. Hey, Dre, we're going to wrap up here in a second. Let people know where they can find out more about you. You've got a lot to offer and a super inspiring story. But before we, we get all that and where people can can follow you at, uh, what's burning on, on your heart? Like as far as like people need to know this, like the, the, the best advice you're giving these days, the things that you think are really helping players and, and, and coaches to strive for their best. Number one thing for players is you have to take ownership of where you want to go. You got to take ownership of your career when it comes to playing ball, not your parents. I, I often get emails and I'm sure you two do. I get emails from parents all the time who tell me, well, no, my son wants to do this. And my daughter usually is the son. My son wants to do this or girlfriends, wives. My son wants to play overseas. They want to play in college, this and that. And I'll write the parents back and tell them, well, if your son wants to play, why am I getting an email from the mom? I want to hear from the player. If you want to play, then I should be hearing from you. I don't want to hear from your mom. I don't want to hear from your girlfriend. I don't want to hear from your wife. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from your coach. I want to hear from you. If you want to play, you have to take ownership of your situation. And sometimes players, because they have a parent around who's very involved or someone who wants to help them, maybe more than they want to help themselves, that can actually become a crutch. I didn't have any of that. So I had to develop the mental toughness. I had to have the confidence and I had to have the initiative to go make it happen on my own. Because had I not had any of those, had any point in this whole story that I've told here, had I decided to quit, nobody would have stopped me. <laughs> nobody would have said, hey, Dre, you got too much talent. You can't give up. Nobody would have told me that. I had to run on my own energy. And that actually, that handicap became a strength in the long run. So for all the players out there, yeah, your coach is going to tell you what they're going to tell you. You'll probably, it'll probably not be till you're 40. You're going to realize that everything they told you was true and was accurate. But the more of it that you can observe, and I mean, not observe, but uh, take in and really apply right now, the better of a player that you'll be. The worst scenario for any athlete out there is that you get to the point that your career is over and then you realize what opportunities you blew. That's what you don't want. So make sure you're taking advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you right now. And I tell players this one other thing I offer to every player who's listening to this right now. If your coach is saying something to you that you don't quite understand or you don't like or you think you think your coach is an idiot or you think your coach is hating, take whatever your coach said to you. Remember it. Then tell me what they said and I'll say it to you. So now you know that they're not hating because I have no reason to hate on you. I'll tell you the same thing your coach told you. And maybe maybe I'll translated a little bit so you can better understand it. But everything they're telling you is actually going to help you if you would just shut up and listen. So that's the biggest thing that I would tell players out there. Yeah. Adre, I love that. I, there's so many takeaways from today. Um, and, and many of them are countercultural. You know what I mean? Like just take ownership. Mm -hmm. Parents quit, quit babying them. You know, I think that speaks to the coaches language. Right. A lot of coaches is dealing with that right now where they're speaking to parents more than they are players. And that's stealing their, love and joy of, of coaching. And then you have players that are being uh, enabled by parents that are going out there or trainers or people that are, who they're handlers or whatever they're, and they're, they're not empowering those young people, which is going to hurt them down the road. And 
do things that won't scale. I mean, how countercultural is that? Everyone's looking for the thing to go viral on the next big thing. And uh, man, kudos to you for just getting it done the hard way and, and, and making such a name for yourself and impacting so many people by keeping your nose down and working and, and making a really solid impact and finding things like you've been finding. And whenever you hit a roadblock, just keep going. And so, so much inspiration, man. I want people to be able to um, find out more and follow more and learn more so they can go to workonyourgame.com. Where else follow you on social? You want to give out some handles? Sure. My Instagram is at Dre Baldwin. I'm on all the other platforms. My Facebook is just Facebook slash work on your game. And I mean, these these players, they know how to use the Internet. Just any whatever platform you're on, just look my name up, Dre Baldwin. You'll find me. And I did write a book on this very concept, The Third Day. Can I share that with the audience? Yeah. OK, so I actually have a copy of it here. So this is my newest book. It's called The Third Day, The Decision that Separates the Pros from the Amateurs, just like we talked about here. Being willing to show up when you least feel like it and giving your best effort. I actually give this book away for free, the paperback version. All you have to do is cover the shipping and I will ship it to you physically wherever you are in the world. Just go to thirddaybook.com and I'll give you all that link. And it's all spelled out thirddaybook.com. Books free, just cover the shipping. Man, I love it. Is this your best book? Yes. I always tell people my latest book is my best one because I'm always getting better. Yeah. yeah. Well, I look, I look forward, I look forward to reading it because uh, you can add that much value in a 30 minute conversation. I, I can imagine what a, what a book will do for you. So uh, coaches, players, go check that out. Go read that book. Go check them out at uh, workonyourgame.com. And uh, Dre, really appreciate you spending time with us, man, and, and really look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. Absolutely. I appreciate you all uh, allowing me to space. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, here's Sam Allen. I am TJ Rosine, and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. We hope you enjoyed today's interview with Dre, and he shared with us a special offer just for Hardwood Hustle listeners. You can go to workonyourgameuniversity.com backslash hardwood for a free 30-minute game session with Dre. That's workonyourgameuniversity.com backslash hardwood. You can also check out his book at workonyourgame.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.